and it's ironic. I was asked by a couple of people last night if I would be a little more neck today, and so I thought I'd just give you the verses and sit down. <laughs> Let me read you the uh, verse I was keying on yesterday, and that was First Chronicles twelve thirty-two. And the sons of Issachar, the sons of Colorado Spring, the sons of Denver, the sons of Atlanta, Georgia, the sons of God, men who understood the times with knowledge of what the kingdom of God should do. We're the men of Issachar today. Let me pray for us. God, I ask you, uh, as we get together the next few minutes, that uh, you would let our uh, hearts quieten down and we'll think and we'll grow close to you, God. We'll get a clarity, a view of what's on your heart. Pray, God, that I am transparent and anonymous and that your presence is understood. You said, with two or three gathered in your name, there you are amongst them. I depend and call upon that promise now, God. I know you have the Holy Spirit here now, and I pray, God, that you will use it as your agent to do the work you'd, you'd have done. So, God, I just uh, pray for this next few moments that is to your glory. Amen. Now, yesterday, uh, Ron did an, just an outstanding job talking on money and mentioning to you that stewardship is the usage of God's resources to accomplish God's goal. Stewardship is the usage of God's resources to accomplish God's goal. Today I, would, uh, I want to challenge you with the thought that we spend a great deal of time dealing with the concept of money in the arena of stewardship. And I would like to suggest to you that there are some real significant assets of God that we spend very little time understanding the management of those assets. It is interesting to me that God has proclaimed to us that effectively He has all the money He needs and will provide everything we ever dreamed of needing financially. And yet we spend the majority of time wrestling the question of debt or how to pay this bill or the agonizing of the budget. And yet there are assets today, guys, that He has only committed us a finite amount of. There are assets today He's only committed to you a finite amount of and we're not spending the time to steward or manage those nearly to the degree of intensity that we are money. And that's what I'd like to talk to you about today. Now, to start that off, I thought about how to introduce this little uh, series of vignettes I'm going to give you. And I thought about how I was in consulting for a period of time, and I, it was always interesting to me when consulting with corporations, what are the areas that, uh, why companies are successful and why are company failures? What makes, what are some things that really move companies around? Let me say to you that there are probably, though there are many more, I mean, I'm, I'm sure, let me name you three that I always looked for when I went into a company. As I was uh, doing consulting with a company, there were three things that a company, three classic errors a company would tend to make that would tend to put them out of business or hurt them. The first one is the company did not know what business they were in. And as you would begin to review it with the company, it became clear they really didn't grasp what business they were in. Now, the classic study is, if any of you are familiar with it, was done in Harvard, about the railroad industry. And they were reviewing the railroad industry. Why did the railroad industry, this giant, this mammoth with all the money and the resources of people, why did it literally miss the turn 
and not make it into the, you know make it into the 20th century more effectively than it did. And the conclusion was that the railroad industry decided it was in the railroad business and forgot that it was in the transportation industry. It did not know what business it was in. And so consequently, it missed its opportunities. Second reason is the fact that because of poor management or poor decisions or unfortunate decisions or whatever it is, we tend to use our assets to cover, our good assets, to cover up for our mistakes. And we bleed the power of our good assets in offsetting our mistakes. That is the problem right now today with Bank of America. If you evaluate the Bank of America dilemma, it is the issue because of a number of bad investments. It's bleeding the power of its good investments just to try to break even with its bad investments, its bad loans. And it's choking off one of the most powerful banks in the world. The bank is in, in trouble. And it is using its good assets just to simply offset its, its bad assets, its bad decisions. And the third thing is, as I look for in a company, is the fact that the company did not know really what their assets are. They misunderstand what their assets are. I know I work for a company, in our small company, and one of the major mistakes we made was the president became totally convinced, this was the company that I owned a part of, the chairman of the board became totally convinced the measurement of success was the rate of hiring. That's a true statement. I cannot tell you the number of battles we did on that issue. The next great asset was the amount of research projects going on. Never a discussion of the customer base as an asset. Never a discussion of the employee base being as an asset. We missed the whole concept of what the major assets of our life are. I will say to you that there's a great parallel of those into our own life, our own personal life, and that we fumble and file up the assets God's given us along a lot of those same lines. Now, I'm not going to draw the parallels from there to what I'm getting ready to talk to you on, but there's very strong parallels and it's very easy to see. But I just want to say to you that in business there's some very twin lines that you look at on why, why companies get in trouble. Now, the first asset I would like to talk to you about that God gives us and gives us only a finite amount of is time. When He gives us all the money we ever need, He has all the money that we could ever dream of, God only gives us a finite amount of time to deal with. There's a, just a, a given amount He's going to give us to get the job done. To understand that, what I'd like to do is very quickly go through to you, to you what, my, what I learned as a man on, the, on what I was taught about time in the world. Now, this may not be what you were taught about time, but let me tell you some truths I learned growing up as a young man and going into the IBM Corporation, because I'm a time nut. I love time management. I love to write down what I'm doing. I'm, I'm a to-do guy. I literally, I love to-dos. As a matter of fact, if on Saturday I've done some things that are not on my to-do list, I'll go down and put them on my to-do list and then mark them off. <laughs> Is anybody guilty of that? Oh yeah, oh yeah. That's right, that's right. Now we're down, we're down with accounts now, guys. That's right, that's something important. I love a marked up to-do list. And I used to really study time. And let me tell you some truth. And, and, I, and I'm, not, I'm just going to tell you what I learned about time. First is, time definitely equals achievement, dollars, and results. I was taught that. Time equals that. The appropriation and the usage of time will equal achievement, will equal dollars, and equal results in my life. That's clearly a truth I've been taught. Read book after book that that is a reality. From that, then I can conclude that success, or excuse me, I know also that success is directly related or proportionally related to achievement, dollars, and results in my life. Consequently, I can conclude without any trouble that success is purely a matter of time usage. Now, if any of you study time books, that's what they'll tell you. 
the only distance between you and the great success is your management and usage of time. That is the only issue. Now, they also say, to therefore, if this is true, for me to be a great success, all I must do is prioritize my time. That's all I must do. <coughs> if there is something I don't have time for, hire it done, eject it, or rationalize it away. Therefore, as I prioritize my time, the problem I get in, tracing it against success, I find these little residual pockets of things I don't get done. So what I do is, because I am such an outstanding businessman, making all that money, I therefore hire that done, or throw it out, or rationalize it really doesn't need to be done anyway. Right? Right. That's how I handle my time. No doubt about it. And by the way, that's how I'm taught. Whatever I want to get, gain, or experience, all I have to do for it is plan for it, pursue it, and persist in getting after it, and I'll have it when I want it. Six rules of time I was taught. Anything I want in life, when I want it, all I've got to do is plan for it, pursue it, and persist in that pursuit, and it's mine. Ring a bell with you guys at all? Because that's what I was taught about time. Sound familiar? That's the world's view. That's my filter system. That's the way I was trained. And when I reviewed time, that's how my mind worked. When I looked at planning my time, when I looked at studying the Bible or anything, that's what, if I want to be a man of God, I could be a man of God today. All I had to do was plan for it, pursue it, and persist in it. It's going to happen. No problems about that. I want to have a glamorous and glorious life before God. Plan for it, pursue it, and persist. And it's going to be right now. And this is how I ran my life. What does God say about time? All right? Let's just review that. I'm sorry. Was that too fast? Well, that's the last of that chart. Let's talk about... Let's talk about our wife. Just forget time. I mean, <laughs> what do you want to do? You can just leave these with you and you copy them. Let's do this. Let me just go through them. Don't worry about taking them. And I'll just leave them. These are with you. And these are very expensive, but I'll leave them with you. Notice they're hand engraved. And, and what I want you to do is if you disagree, let's don't wait to the end. I want you to challenge me right where I am. Will you do that? I mean that seriously. But that's what I really believe the world taught me. And that's how I ran my lifetime was. And please don't worry about taking notes. Now what you might want to do is write maybe a couple of the salient points down. What does God say about time? Now when I begin to say, okay God, I'm serious and I want to be what you, what is on your mind? Let me understand your mind and that will become my filter. I'll let that become my filter. I will then screen the issues of my life along that filter. What do you say? And he said, God said, well Gail, first it's finite. It is an infinite. It is not to be squandered. It is not a product you can just run, race away. In fact, the effective use of time, I have two objectives for it. One of them is that you can present to me a heart of wisdom, Psalms 90.12, and it will keep you from the days of evil. But God, time is success by achievement, dollars, and results. He said, no, that's not it. I want you to present to me a heart of wisdom, and it will keep you from days of evil if you are playing your time. That's, what I, that's my objective view of an effective use of time. And he says, there will always be, there is, and there always will be a time for everything in God's timing. Not when I want it, but when God wants me to have it. There is a time and a place for everything. I don't need to be married when I'm 12 years of age. I don't need to have my first car when I'm 8 years of age. I may lust after that, 
But there's a time for everything. Ecclesiastes. A good illustration of that, and, and I've used it in a number of talks, and I know another, other, other guys have, is Jacob. God commits to Jacob that you are going to be the man with the inheritance. Jacob's mother intercedes and manipulates Isaac to get him the inheritance, right? Fakes out Isaac, so Isaac will bless Jacob. Is that when he gets the inheritance? And your answer is, no. When does he get it? Twenty years later at Bethel. In God's timing, you will experience everything that you need to experience. To rush it, to push it, is not effective use of time. We're not taught that. We are taught, you want it, go get it. It's yours. Plan for it, pursue and persist, and you got it. God says, no way, Jose. In my time, you will have it. There's not enough time to do everything I want to do or I think is necessary, but there is enough time to do all God has in mind for me to do to fulfill my purpose. It is not an issue of simple priorities. In my life today, at 48 years of age, I am fully convinced I do not have enough time to do what I think is necessary to be done. I cannot do it. And guys, as I looked in your eyes last night, and some of you came up to me, you can't either. Now I've got a choice. I eject, I say I'll live it in faith, and know that God's in the business product. And that's God's problem. I will just do the best I can. And I'll be about doing what God would have me do, and the rest is up to Him. Which means, in conclusion, you're out of control. Therefore, the issue is sense of balance. The issue is not total product. The issue is not achievement. The issue is not dollars in the use of time. It is balance. As God has called me to execute on a balance, the job is for me to be doing what God has asked me to do with my wife and my kids and my job and my parents and ministry and the job. That's what God's asked me to do. Balance. How it blends and holds together, the product of it is God's responsibility. And the greatest illustration of that is your children. I got a 20-year-old boy. And right now, my son is on the path of quit being a Christian and becoming a man of God. He's starting to become a man of God. I would like to give you eight great lessons on how to raise a child. And I want you to know there is only one. And that's faith and prayer. Because I want to tell you guys, I failed that kid. I didn't do a lot of whole bunch of right things. I gave my heart to it, but I looked down and I see tons of mistakes I made with it. Tons. I gave him enough evidence to fail. He could take some of the things I taught him and literally blow himself away because I just didn't do it right. That's the long and the short of it. God is turning something in his life. I gave him the part I knew how to do, but I want to know it's deficient. It's not capable of stretching everything I need to and touch everything I need to touch. The issue was for me the sense of balance. I must understand that God is in control of the product. Therefore, time does not equal achievement, dollar, and results. Be content. Wait on God. If you're in a hurry, pray. And be a student of your time. What do I mean by that? Study who you are in your time. Dave Wildhuber, a friend of mine, is up here with Atlanta. About a year ago, he really tipped me off to something that really, really, really helped me. He told about a guy named B.S. Skinner, who you may or may not know, who wrote a story about how to 
allocate his time and he realized that if he did a heavy study in the evening that he'd get his mind going and his sleep would be restless which would tire him out the next day and so he had an apportionment of time that he never did heavy study in the evening his heaviest study was early in the morning now I realize in my life my clearest thinking my most effective time is early in the morning so I'm trying to schedule my time and use my time such that do the things I'm strong at during the times I'm strong to do them as opposed to trying to carry on heavy burdens late in the evening because my mind just doesn't work there I'm a student of who I am against my time you should become that because remember you only have a finite amount of time you right now have one second less than you had when I started to say that statement God says let me number my days so that you may present to me a heart of wisdom that's the effective time and the question is do you have the mind of God or do you have the mind of the world on time Okay? Absolutely not. I know what you'll do. You'll ask something I don't know. <laughs> yes, no, go ahead, Walt. I, how do you want to do that? Let's do, I'll just, just keep a couple of them because let me go to the inning. Come in. Please, yes, sir. I just had a question on number four on God's evaluation time. Can you pick that back up there for a moment? Sure. There's not enough time to do everything I want to do. Yeah, but there is enough time to do all God's plans for me to accomplish His purpose in our life. Yeah. I think we say we're not deep into that. My question is this: Scale. I can only identify with that. There's a couple places in our lives where we say that change. Is that part of the sanctification process? I do um, and the question really says is do you ever break out of the tension issue on how I use my time in the sense that I don't think I have enough time to get everything I want to do versus just trusting God um, Christ had the greatest capacity to, to bounce that tension of anybody he had a clarity of purpose that was unique and in three and a half years he knew he'd done what he was supposed to do. Now, we looked around, and if you study Christ, you'll see there's not enough evidence to prove he'd done what he said he was going to do. He goes to God and says, uh, I've done what you want me to do. I've got the 12 guys ready to go into the marketplace. 
just before that they had had a fight on who was politically going to be the strongest within the group. Now Christ, you and I have talked about that at length, knew that he had achieved what he wanted to do. And he was living with that tension that, you know, if I looked at his life, I said, you need to do at least ten more things. I don't know how to answer your question. Let me say first, my conclusion is I will live in that tension to the day I die. I think I will move closer and closer as I gain the mind of Christ, Romans 12, too, that I'll live more comfortably in that tension, but I will never move out of that tension of faith. I, I don't believe I ever will. Now, because secondly, as I, as I sense and appreciate the sovereignty of God, the more I, I understand I don't have to do, and yet the more I know I must do. Does that make sense? As I understand the sovereignty of God, the more I know I don't have to do, but the more, the more I know I must be involved with doing and participating in this process. And that, therefore, becomes an endless boundary. I don't, there's no boundary I can run. Now, when you take measurements off me, I never know when I've done enough. It's easier if I knew how to measure it. If I could just do three witnesses and four verses memorized and eight scripture studies, I have, I'd have it made. But no, God says, don't worry about any of those things. I said, well, I don't have to worry about any of those things. Oh, my gosh, now what do I do? Right? That's exactly what happened. Now, i got an infinite sink to run into. And I think the rest of my maturing process is beginning to willing to stay in the context of the process, to participate as opposed to jumping out. And as the kings that fell out, went, well, I'm thinking this answer as we go along, as the kings that fell out, most of them became anxious about the ability to handle their responsibilities, and they jumped ship and made bad alliances later in their life, and that's what queered it with God. And everyone's a product of saying, oh my gosh, I've got, I don't have enough time to get this done. I'll, I'll make an agreement with Israel or make an agreement with Syria. And most of those things, that was the yoking problem that got him into trouble. I got to the end and just said, we, I've, got to, I've got to go faster instead of just growing into the maturing process. Now, I don't know if I answered your question, but I think that we'll live in that tension to the day we die. I don't think we'll ever come out of that tension. Any other comment? Any other? I'll wait for the morning. And I don't think you ever will know. But I think you continue to review. You continue to go before God with them and say, God, I don't know, but I'm giving it the best shot I know how. I'm going on to the next day. Let's go. But there is never enough time because my only options are to eject or to, throw, to start throwing to jettison the stuff off the side of the ship. That's the only other. That's the only other things I know how to do. I can hire it done. I can eject it or rationalize it away. And I can't figure out how to hire being a, a father away to somebody else, though we're trying to do it in America. I, I get the lawn done. I got that much work away. <laughs> That's my son, and he's, he's growing up on me. It really makes me mad. <laughs> my lawn, I'm going to be in trouble with my lawn. <laughs> what happened to the other sheep? <laughs> Lost a sheep. Ah, there it is. Okay. Yes, sir. Yes. Out of control, time does not equal dollars, achievement, results, and God's in control of product, you've got only one choice. If you don't do that, then you don't buy the premise on time. Let me tell you another, another deal uh, that Dave taught me on this early morning thing. Another thing I noticed while I'm planning, I'm planning my time, 
I plan when I get through planning Monday, it would take King Kong to do Monday. <laughs> now Wednesday is not bad, Thursday not Friday's a breeze. Monday is I mean I got a list that would choke a horse. I think of everything I'm gonna do, I'll say I'll do that on Monday and then we'll carry the rest of the week. I could turn my work week into a one day if I did everything I want to do on Monday. Learn to discipline yourself to push things out across the week. And we really fail it. I fail at that very badly. And one thing I'm learning is stopping on my Monday. I put everything I do, want to do down on Monday because I know I'm lying. But then I take, I rest, and I come back and then scatter it across the week. Because I think I've got to get everything done. I've got to make every call on Monday. I've got to write every letter on Monday. I've got to do every follow-up on Monday. So I start at 3 in the morning and finish at 8 in the evening. <laughs> Why did I talk about time, guys? I could talk about money and enrapture this conversation for the next eight hours. But how many times have you discussed what is God's view of time? And that's a finite asset He's given you. Finite asset. Let me tell you another finite asset God has given us. And that is our wife. Our reward in life. The world says... As I reviewed what the world told me about my wife, so when I got married that, uh, that this was a conglomerate, not a uh, merger, or not a uh, buyout, or not an unfriendly buyout. It was a conglomerate. She had her life, I had my life. Right? A conglomerate has two unique entities identifying itself as businesses which have its own life within itself. And so we're going to go on, and there's some synergy in there, but that doesn't necessarily have to be. Each guy has its own uh, balance sheet. Each guy has its own profit and loss. Get out there and get the job done. And that's what the world was teaching me. It taught me that um, she was to help me find my value. That Let me skip ahead. She was my prize. My wife's a good-looking woman. I love to go in uh, places and say, you don't believe this old gray-headed man could win a woman like that. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> How about them apples, guys? Of course you don't know she's totally blind. <laughs> See, they teach me, and what has happened is my wife became an obligation. She started off a romance, and she became an obligation. I talked to my wife before I came, and I was speaking to Connie, and we were chatting about this. And she says, you know what happened and what you did to me? She said, you begin to think of me as one of the children. What I said, I hate you for it, but it's true. <laughs> I hate you for it, but it's true. I started to think of her like one of my children. An obligation. Something that had to be handled. In this room today, there are guys who have had marriage problems and are out of them. Guys in marriage problems and guys on their way to marriage problems. Because of your view of your wife. I'm telling you, in the 40s, that's a high-risk area. And one of the major areas that gets jettisoned is the wife, guys. A wife is seasonal. I can get more than one. And if we have a battle, let's have a truce. The issue is not necessarily peace or an understanding or a mutual commitment, but a truce. Now, what a truce says, I may not agree with you, but I'm going to quit hitting on you. Right? The truce says, I'm just going to quit lobbing shells. I don't like you. I don't necessarily agree with you, but I'm going to quit throwing grenades across the fence at you. <laughs> and that's how we're taught to resolve questions. I'm sorry. Well, 
God says there's uh, for every season there's a lot and some people says if they read that for every season there's another wife what does God say just look at God's view of your wife and this is not exhaustive let me just give you some thoughts about that she is your reward in life Ecclesiastes 9.9 guys it ain't going to get no better if you don't like your wife that's it now if I understood that's my, my reward in life it's a pretty good chance I ought to invest in it because that's where the ponies are going to come back it ain't the stock market it ain't a uh, real estate deal it's your wife Ecclesiastes 9.9 God says she's your completer she ain't my alter ego she isn't somebody just to make me feel good she ain't my sex convenience she is my completer it's hard for me to admit but I got a dog deficiencies I got holes in this capability and it used to bug me that Connie was different and didn't always applaud my genius but praise God she's the kind of person she is otherwise I would have taken the airplane straight into the side of the mountain I don't know about you guys but I would have wrecked her good and Connie has checked and bounced me throughout life and she has completed me positively and also in counterbalance Proverbs 31 says that a good wife her husband will be known in the, in the uh, gates she makes you an elder you ever view it that way Proverbs 31 says the man will know there's none else like her I mean I mean my gollies you dig her bones and there's nobody else like this cow now I'm in 22 years of marriage I'll be 23 in October and I'm beginning to realize man I've got myself one good woman are there other good women? yeah but for me there's one good woman Proverbs says you've got a good woman you'll know and there's peace not a trust not a truce but that's God's view of a wife now where do you sit with your wife? just take your own assessment is it a conglomeration? Is she there just to help me find my value or does she complete me? Is it an obligation? Do I view her like my children? Is something i got to earn the money to keep the thing going? Is she my prize? Is it potentially seasonal? Do I really get to understand the issues? Let me give you three things to think on. Principles about your marriage. And I am not giving you a course on marriage just three things are you investing in your wife are you spending her guys today I'm 48 years of age and I, my wife and I are in the autumn of our life we are living a great life you know why because the preceding 10 years we invested in each other we're living off that investment today and preparing for the winter of our life are you spending what you've already built up are you investing for the future if you're not investing what you're going to happen is you're going to reap the harvest of what you've done this 10 years you will live the next 5 years as you invested today that's true of your relationship to God that's true of your relationship to your children and that's true of your relationship to your wife and if you're not investing in your wife you will reap the harvest in 5 to 10 years and you can blame everything you want to blame but the truth of the matter is you spent her you didn't invest in her and you're talking to God that's committed to sin are you investing in your wife are you spending her be a student of your wife you know about that 
I talked to some guys that's gotten themselves in trouble with their wives. They've gotten to that good midlife crisis. They got to the high risk area, and they found this little chick baby that made him feel a little bit better. They kind of uh, the gal said, "Boy, you're really wonderful." She hadn't smelled his dirty underwear. She hadn't taken out his dirty socks. She hadn't wiped up the kids for all those years. And she's boy, you're the cutest thing that ever walked. When they break, you know what? Every, every time I interview them, they say one thing to me. And Walt and I were talking about this last They said, we just never had good communications. Or, she never really did understand me. Or, it just wasn't never really right. But I want to tell you today, there's evidence in my marriage today that if it broke, I could harp on it and say, well, there was those moments when Connie and I just didn't communicate. Yeah, there's those negatives in my life. But the issue is to focus on the positive. And the greatness that that woman is bringing into your life. Well, I just praise God my wife didn't dwell on my negatives. It'd take her a little bit of time, like the next 10, 20, 30 years to get through. <laughs> but the issue is become a student of your wife. Begin to understand this tremendous asset God has given to you. Begin to focus on the asset. Invest on the asset. You know, what was one reason the businesses went out of business? They didn't understand what their assets were. And that's exactly what guys are doing. I run around with all the time. She just doesn't understand me. Bull. She understands you better than you want her to understand you. And the question is never, what should my wife do, but how can I do it better? The question is not, how can she become a better wife? The question is, how can I become a better husband? If you've got a gripe with your wife, guys, your gripe is not with your wife. Your gripe, your gripe is with God. I repeat that. You don't have a gripe with your wife. You have a gripe with God. She ain't living up to your, meet, your needs or meeting your expectations. That's a problem with God. It's not a problem with your wife. And the last one, focus on intimacy. I got three kids. We're a very open family. My kids would sleep with us if I let them. My 20-year-old boy comes sleep with us. When in the middle of the night they come in and open the terminal, I'd sit down and talk to them. It's very hard to be intimate with my wife. It's, I mean, it's under, Now, we want an open family. But I got to nail the door shut. <laughs> they hear me hammering the door at night. I'm going to be intimate with my wife. <laughs> Boat locks. <laughs> the older you get, the harder it is to be intimate. She wants it. You need it. She wants it. You need it. She wants it. You need it. Then do it. And you got to work at it because it doesn't come easy. I'm not talking about just sex. I'm talking about just being intimate with her. Sharing your heart. Listening to her. Being with her. And getting the kids out of your way. Right? Right. Yes, Charles. Yeah. I, uh... The older... We've, we got in a, a part of our life where we were going pell-mell to Sunday. I, uh, my son was going to a private school, and so I had to commute to take him to the private school. I was coaching a basketball team. Uh, one of the, the daughter was taking piano. Uh, I was teaching two or three Bible studies. There was not a single thing I was doing wrong, right? I can give you the list, and you tell you, ooh, hey, good list, Gail. You're right out there hitting them hard. Good to-do list. And Connie and I were spending that much time together. And the reason we were continuing to stay together and enjoy each other is what I'd done five to ten years earlier. I was not investing in her that day. I was not taking time to rebuild that relationship. 
and keep it nourished and fresh. I was living off what I had done five years before. And eventually, I'm going to tell you, the curve goes, that asset goes away. you got to stop and invest. Does that make sense? I was... Yeah, and it's, it's different. It's letters, it's time, it's phone calls, it's stopping and listening. Yeah. I discovered one time with my wife that every relationship and every encounter we had was on my ground. Everything we discussed was what I wanted to discuss. When I wanted to discuss it and how I wanted to discuss it. We never went on her turf. Reason? Because I'm better on my turf than she is. I get her on my turf and I'll run the show. So we talked always on my turf. So I made this commitment. It was one of the most terrorizing commitments I ever made. I'm going to get on her turf. And so what we do is one day a month, I went shopping with her and just said, where do you want to go? We go. And I learned that's off Winston. It was terrorizing. I mean, I couldn't run the show anymore. I mean, when we talked, we talked about her kind of thing. And we shopped, we futzed around. That's, that's good. But it gave me a whole dimension on being able to talk to her. You know that? Because I realized that's a bright lady I have. She's got a good mind. She fights a dead gun tough battle out there. I want to tell her I fight the toughest battle. Boy, she's got a tough battle too. It's good to see the kind of battle she was fighting. I get to appreciate her and I could hear her through her filter a little bit. It wasn't a truce. We begin to move towards peace, mutual understanding, and caring for each other. I'm not trying to give you an equation, guys. Please understand. I am not qualified to give you a seminar on marriage. I'm just saying to you, a finite asset you have is your wife. Not money, your wife. Are you investing in her? Do you really realize that? Are you, are you building for a disaster in the next five years? And I want to say to you, I don't know many of it, but lots of you are doing that right now today. You know you are. And some of you are reaping the whirlwind right now today. And you know you are. Now, I'm not sitting here beating you with a rod, but the issue is, let's get the mind of God on the question, let's take God seriously, and let's be about what we're to be about. Yes, sir. You're absolutely right, and there is no equation. But I, I can't promise you this in every marriage, but I want to tell you, our marriage gets better every year. I really get a kick out of that lady. It's getting better every year. And I figure if I can get those dadgum kids out of there, it's going to be fantastic. <laughs> i got a problem, though. I think my kids are going to stay with me till I'm 40, right? <laughs> I don't think they're ever going to leave me. I get one out the door, and I get the door nailed, and he comes in another door. It just gets kind of bad. <laughs> another asset God gives you is purpose in your life. In no way am I going to give you an extended talk on purpose. But I just want to review with you quickly a thought process for purpose in your life. But before I do that, I don't have any charts on this one, but there's a fourth one that I didn't work up, and I want to, I want to give it to you. And I think it's critical in this room today on an asset you have that you don't study and don't think about. And that God's only given you a finite amount. He gave you a finite amount of time. He gave you a finite asset in your life. And it gives you a finite asset in your parents. He only gave you one set. The world is telling me that my parents were for my convenience. And that when they interrupt my quality of life, here are your following alternatives. And God says, no, that's not my mind at all. That you're to honor them and treasure them. One of the great battlefields in Gail Jackson's life today is my mother and my mother-in-law. 
I won't even go. I don't mind going into it. I'm just not going to take time to take it, take it into it. But I would be remiss today, and I thought about that praying, praying after I put this together. I had totally left that out, but I want to tell you guys that is an asset you better be thinking about. It's finite. Take one tenth the time you think about money is to think about your parents. And what are you going to do about it? I want to say to you, as you get older, the responsibility goes up with your parents. If I was to chart it, and I don't have a pencil, yeah, let me just show you. Let me show you something. I do one thing on parents. Here's my dad, and when I was a kid, we had a relationship because he let it happen, right? Just because he said, I'll tolerate you. <laughs> you, you give me dirty diapers and you throw up and you eat my food you little rug rat and you tear down things and you embarrass me you just boy you're really bad news but I'm going to take care of you and so we love them and boy there ain't nothing going in their favor other than they got a warm little body every now and then they goo a little bit and they get older and older and eventually you grow up in the situation where the relationship becomes an equal relationship right now all of a sudden we're mutually responsible for the relationship and one of the things I start doing when my kids get 15 years of age is begin to preach to them that the relationship is much your responsibility as mine. You begin to act that way. You begin to be concerned how I respond to things, just not how you respond to things. Are you with me? You begin to try to teach them that. Because when we get up in here, that's when I, we begin to get on mutual. Well, what happens is, guys, you know the arrows go both ways. Eventually, the relationship exists only because you let it exist. A total role reversal. Here's where we usually say, forget it. i got too many other responsibilities. I don't need to do it. And appearance is one of the things you'll jettison in your midlife. And I want to show you, that isn't God's mind. Number four asset, purpose. Most companies do not know what business they're in. They do not have purpose. They really don't know what they're in. Teams, one of the rules of teams is the team must have a mutual purpose. Now, every one of us represent a team in the husband and wife. And I've got to say, do you, do you have a mutual purpose with you, you and your wife? Most, most of you guys are small, independent businessmen. Does your company have a purpose statement? If I walked in your room and said, give me a purpose statement. What is the essence of who you are and what you're doing? What business are you in? What are you doing? Do you have that? I want to say to you, that is just something you need to have. You need to have that purpose. And you need to have a personalized purpose of who you are and what you're doing in life. Now, it's very easy to say that the basic purpose, everybody has the same purpose. And that is to bring glory to God. That's, no matter how we wrestle with the question, that's what it ends up being. But then does that mean there's no uniqueness? And the answer is yes, there's uniqueness. What brings about the uniqueness of purpose? Purpose becomes personalized when we understand our gifts, our skills, our roles, our environment, and our temperament. What is the gift that the Holy Spirit brought into your life? Are you a student of that? Have you gone to the brothers and asked about that? What are your skills? Who are you and what are the skills you brought about in your life? What are the roles in your life? What are they? Well, you're a husband, and you're a, uh, a father, and you're a child of God, and you're a child to your parents, and you're a, uh, sometimes you're brothers and sisters, and I'm an employer-employee, and I'm in the ministry... There's a lot of roles we play, and the older we get, the more roles we end up playing. That's some of the problems we have. But the roles are, there's just so many you can juggle, and you're trying to understand what those roles are. But what are your roles? Interesting, let me get to the second question. What does God say about those roles? 
Have you figured out how to deal with those roles or have you looked at what God's plan for those roles are? Environment. Where are you today? Do you live in Colorado Springs? What kind of house do you live in? Who are you? What did your parents' heritage to you? Because it's interesting, uh, being raised as a, uh, with a young, uh, from a German father, as a carpenter, that brings a certain, and I'm going to use the word, I don't mean it derogatory, but it brings certain luggage into your life. This is very real. There's nothing to be at bottom. But understand your luggage. I know my, uh, my dad was a hardworking guy that had a real high uh, work ethic content to his life. And that came over into my life. And, and that's not right or wrong. That's just reality. And let's understand the environment I come from. Because that tailors a lot of who I am. And what is my temperament. Then from that, make an assessment of your top five roles. And I just mentioned six of them there. That I'm a child of God. And that I'm a husband and a father. And I'm a child. I'm an employer and an employee. A servant. These are the major dominant roles in my life I'm exercising every day. Now somehow out of that, understanding God's view of that, I will tailor that into what? A unique purpose in my life. Agreed? Because out of that comes a uniqueness. What is unique about me is not my objective to glorify God, but the context and the complex of who I am and where I am. Where God has put me in time and place. The makeup of all those issues around my life. And as I work through those and live out my life as God had me live it out, that gives a uniqueness to my purpose. Then you begin to do a top-down. Basically, assessing what does the Word say about my roles in my life. What is God's view of the roles in my life? We just talked about a wife. Do you understand God's view of work? Do you understand God's view of what He wants you to be as a child of God? Do you understand God's view of your parents? Do you understand God's view of your children? I want to tell you, I did not understand those things. Now, maybe you got it nailed, but I look into your blank eyes and I don't think you do. Basically, you run out of a world's filter system, guys. And when Walt has talked to you about the filter system, and as we mentioned the filter system time and time again, and as Ron Blue talked about the filter system, look at we're talking about taking out the filter system that I've been taught and putting in the filter system of God and viewing it through His glasses. And how does God view my wife? Do I view her the same way? How does God view my children? Do I view it the same way? How does God view my job and my company? Do I view it the same way? Now I encourage you to take a verse that encapsulates your feeling on every one of those roles and take them out of the Bible and begin to focus on those as the purpose of each one of those roles. Fair enough? you understand what I just said there? Your biggest deal is the assessment of where you are is understanding God's filter on that as opposed to the world's filter. Secondly, assess where I am today. If that's what God wants me to be, if that's where I want to move, where am I today? Do I really grasp that's what God would have me do? Maybe I don't. And if I don't, then I've got to assess what do I do to move in the direction that God would have me move one step at a time. Now, no one thing is a one-step move. It's a process. It's a continual changing. Romans 12.2 Do not let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold, but let God remold your mind from within that you may prove and practice God's plan for you is good, meets all of his demands and moves towards the goal of true maturity. That's J.B. Phillips' version of that verse. Powerful rendition of that verse. That God's in the process of remolding our mind from within so that when we go to heaven, we're going to look Jesus in the eye and we're going to understand where he's coming from because we have his mind. You see what I'm saying? That's the reason we're doing these things. So when I meet Jesus, I want to be a complete stranger. He says, oh, you're the guy that saved me. Oh, I don't know anything else about you, but I'm glad you saved me. Yes, sir.
Romans 12, 2. Did you hear that? I mean, start back there. Do not let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold, but let God remold your mind from within, that you may prove in practice that God's plan for you is good, meets all of his demands, and moves towards the goal of true maturity. The reason we're in the business of obeying the word, the reason we're in the business of becoming men of God, one of the major objectives is to get the mind of Christ, so that I, when I meet Christ in heaven, I will meet him and understand where he's coming from, because I have and share his mind. I've been in the process of preparing for that. What does what Psalm 90, 90 verse 12 say? But <laughs> 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 so, remember my days so that I may present to you a heart of wisdom. So I may present to you a heart that beats with yours, Jesus. So I present to you a heart that understands where you're coming from, Jesus. I want to be like you, Jesus. And so the process is participating in that. So as I go towards my purpose, I begin to say, what do I need to do and what must, what does God, what must God do because I begin in this process of moving towards the mind of Christ. Because I understand on one side God's view of these things and understand where I am and the view I need to have. And so I begin to move in that way. But remember, both are important. Not only must what I do, but what must God be involved in. Because you've got to understand, God's in there. Right? We talked about that in time already. From that, chart my task that I'm going to get after. Always do it with your wife. Great input. Then when you're going to realize, bottom up, there is no way you can do what you just said you have to do. That'll be the conclusion. You'll need a 30-hour day to do it. So we begin the tension of faith. Because I've got to go back to God. I've got three choices, right? Hire it done, eject it, rationalize it away, or turn it over to God. And we've got to turn it over to God. It doesn't mean back up. It doesn't mean quit. It means, God, if I don't have you, I'm not going to make it. And that's the only thing the realization is for. Are you guys that live with purpose by association? Are you guys that live with purpose by emulation? Are you guys that have a personal purpose? I really encourage you to begin to think through the process of personal purpose because it's one of the finite assets God's given us. When Winston and I talked about this talk, I told Winston that the reason I actually asked to give this talk, and the reason I wanted to give this talk is, you had before you today, you had before you yesterday, one of the national probably one of the best nationally known men in the area of finances and God's feelings about it. I have tremendous respect for Ron Blue and what he's done. And I'm not here trying to flatter Ron. But you had the opportunity to do it. And that's a major asset. And I know Ron's heartbeat. And I say without any qualm that Ron would want also for you to say that all of life is not how to manage your money, but it's how to manage the assets God's given. Victory in Jesus is not a good bank account. It's not a good bank account. God's given us some finite assets that we must deal with. Are you really treating them as assets? Are you casually pooping them off? Let me encourage you as you leave that you begin to think about my time, my wife, my parents, and my purpose. Let me pray for us. God, I uh, thank you. I thank you for this whole weekend and what I've learned and the challenges you brought into my life. Thank you for these men and uh, where they're going to go and where they've been and where they're going. God, out of this room, let us be men who carry the message forward and impact the world. Let us be men that are really aliens and exiles. Let us be men, God, that really know that uh, we've got the secret. We know what the answer is. 
and that when we go back into our society that we'll impact them because God we do know what the answer is let us be men that are transforming our minds to the mind of Christ let us be men that focus on our assets and be good stewards of all the assets you've given us God I ask you to forgive me of my sins and how I failed in that area God pray for a renewed vigor to uh, be after tomorrow and that you continue God to be with me in these, uh, these times as I pray for these men too Thank you again, God, for all you've done. Amen.